Hi, I'm Kim LaPree from the Teachers Need Teachers podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another amazing, amazing Saturday show here on My EdTech Live. Of course, you know me. I am your host, Fonz Mendoza, or of course, you can also know me as Tech Teacher 1381. You know me. I'm all over social media, but thank you so much for joining us this morning. I appreciate you guys right now taking the time out of your day, wherever you may be, whether you are here in the States or maybe you are overseas, whatever time it is of day, thank you so much for joining us and I appreciate you guys being here. Uh, Today, I'm really excited. Today we have an amazing guest and of course, you know, today, is we we he's joining us actually from the uk so i'm really excited so i you know you'll get a different perspective a different lens and you'll get to see what it is that's happening overseas as far as technology and some of the education so it's always great to continue to grow professionally and personally so without further ado i would love to introduce you to our special guest today mr al kingsley al how are you doing today Happy Saturday to you, Foz. I'm very well, thank you. Lovely to be here. Great to have an opportunity to chat with you. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to chat with you too, Al. And like we were talking a little bit backstage, I definitely want right now at the beginning of the show to also give a shout out to Mr. Abid Patel. I'm not sure if he's going to be, if he's joining us <laughs> right now, but it's the A to the B to the I to the D. Thank you so much, Abid, for um, you know letting me know about Al and just how great he is so I'm really looking forward to today's conversation so Al let us know a little bit more about you I know I introduced you you are from the UK but if you can just uh, let us know uh, your context in education your context your context in technology we'd definitely appreciate that I would love to thank you um yeah a bit of a journey I normally explain myself as, as a man with two hats um, where I kind of split my life um, so, so the professional side of me in the corporate world is I've spent the last 30 years uh, developing educational technology software, um, which we sell all over the globe and all about instructional tech, keeping kids safe online and so on and so on. Um, and when I'm not working at, at NetSport, the other half of my life um, is I'm chair of two multi-academy trusts in the UK. So like school, small school districts, I'm chair of a, a, a school or an academy, which is for young people that struggle with mainstream education. Uh, and I also chair a regional SEND board, which is UK language for special educational needs and disabilities. So I really cover everything from the whole K through 12 gamut um, and beyond. And so um, my life is yeah very much mixed between those those two bits, which I think at times, I hope, gives me a fairly good perspective on um, what's happening in the sector. Yeah, and I, and I think that's so great that you said, you know, you, you wear two hats and that's always great that you're that involved, you know, you've got your company, you've got that tech, but you're also involved in the education sector. And it's always great to obviously see what is going on that is out there where you can think of a way that, hey, how can I make things maybe easier? How can we support education and things of that sort? And it's always great to see things from many different perspectives and angles. So 
much respect to you on that. And of course, you know, if you don't know, Al has, you know, 30 years in, in, in this field and career and technology and working with education. And, you know, to me, thank you, sir, for all you do, because even though, like I said, we may not directly work with each other, but 30 years in, in this field, whether it's technology and working through education, it's still something that is admirable and definitely appreciate you being here, sharing your experiences. So before we get a little bit more, you know, let's kind of loosen up a little bit just so we can get the conversation going. So Mr. Al, if you can let us know something interesting about yourself that most people won't or don't know, what would be something that you would oh. like to share? Oh, that's a, that's a really tough one in terms of thinking <laughs> about those things. Um, I, pro I was gonna say, cause it's, it's always a nice um, kind of, kind of a, an answer that breaks the ice a little bit when we're talking about all these different um, topics. I'm a bit of a pooch fan, so I've got three dogs that are very much my well-being driver. Um, but if anybody knows me on social media, they probably, whether they like it or not, have been exposed to that quite a lot. So, um, so, so that's one thing that some people might not know about me. Another thing is, much as I spend my life in sort of immersed in education and, and technology provision, um, I'm also a bit of a fan of classic cars, the old school, and. Um, I often reference it, not because just I love old old cars, but actually there's a bit of a parallel, and maybe some people might feel it's a bit tenuous, but it's a bit like education, you know? We, we often talk about transformation and changing things, but we also need to remember that, much like classic cars, you know, the old ways, the ways we've done things for many years, a lot of things work perfectly well, and if it ain't broke, you don't need to fix it. So I kind of use that parallel, which is, you know, Changing stuff for change's sake is never a good approach. And there's some really good reasons why classic cars are beautiful and the way we've taught children in certain ways over the years still stands up as the best and right way to do things. Oh, nice. I really like that. Uh, that was very, very well said. And I couldn't agree with you more. Now, let me ask you something now. What is there one specific car that you, you yourself are most fond of or are there several? Because I know I have one that I would love to share with you. But I'd love to hear yours first. Well, um, there are there are plenty of classic cars that I I absolutely love, and and believe me, if if I had a garage large enough, I'd I'd love to have the opportunity to embrace all sorts. Um, for whatever reason, I think probably driven from as a child and the selection of posters I had on my bedroom wall, I've always been a fan of the old classic Porsche 911s. So those are the kind of the cars that I'm I'm particularly like. And it's the styling and the shape and the curves and say it links back to childhood memories. So, um, you know, there's always one part of you that doesn't really want to grow up if you don't have to. Yeah. So, so, so that's my kind of for me, that's the dream car. Nice. For my, well, I'll just share with you for and for all our audience members for myself. It is a 1969 Chevelle Supersport. That is my dream car. So yeah, it's it's really cool. So I'm glad I met somebody that you know likes uh, classic cars, and so that's really great. All right. So Al, let's talk a little bit here, uh, just about yourself and just how you started. So we definitely would love to know is when did you realize you know as far as your career? Tell us a little bit about your your pathway when you first started and now where you are today. You know, I would love to hear that. Yeah, story. It's, it's a bit of a convoluted one. Um, my, my pathway in terms of, you know, my career, I started off at, at the very beginning of my career working um, in, in finance. I worked for a bank and then I worked for a big multinational in the UK, Unilever, and I was working in finance. Uh, and you, it kind of always poses the question, well, how the hell did you get from there across? 
Um, but although I look very youthful, at the time, one of the biggest things that was being introduced into finance teams in any organization, particularly corporates, was technology, computer systems to actually more effectively manage the business. Uh, and I actually found that the technology to manage the business far more interesting than the actual numbers themselves, although I trained as an accountant. Um, and if you work in somewhere like a high street bank or a big multinational, um, certainly when you're lower down the echelons of seniority, the one thing that is very limited is your ability to influence change. Um, and you basically have to work because this, we've always done it this way and that's the way we're going to do it. Um, and that resonated very well with me. So, so I took a decision that I think most family members felt was pretty crazy, which was I would walk away from that very well, you know, well-defined pathway and career um, and branch out and do things as a consultant. And I started off independently supporting small businesses doing their finance and at the same time installing technology, computer networks and devices and so on. And that side grew. Um, and then I met somebody who was working again in a business but had developed a, a technology, a product that allowed, um, and I am dating myself here because we're talking DOS, um, that allowed the ability to see a computer screen from somewhere else many miles away, save jumping in the, the Chevy SS and driving over there. Um, and, and so that concept then evolved into, well, let's work together because we've both got a similar mindset. And actually, if you can see a computer screen 30 miles away in the same way, wouldn't it be cool if you could see 30 screens 10 feet away and actually start to use it as a way to build the early building blocks of instructional technology, whether it's the monitoring and supervision or the shepherding of what you do. And that became the kind of let's create products and develop more products for the education space. The journey that from there on in, you know, often people will say, you know, you guys have developed all these great ideas, you know, it's fantastic innovation. The reality is it's all about co-production. It's about you can't be in any sector from the outside developing things and just guessing what people need. It's really about having that passion about what the, the ultimate impact is and working with. So, you know, I'm very fortunate my children have been through the education system and grown up and are now adults in their doing their own careers. But throughout that, I was always keen that I wanted to get more and more involved in education. Um, and so those two parallel paths to me, one was the <clears throat> I wanted to create things that address problems and issues and, and innovate. And the other half was I want to feel morally like I'm making a difference and getting involved and I'm very passionate about education um, and so the two have kind of evolved and I've been very lucky on the education side to be involved in um, in the UK system bidding to build new schools so you get the, the blank canvas approach um, being asked to join and support schools that have got challenges that are you know much more established and it's much more of a, a change in culture and the way we work with things um, I spent three, four years living in the US, in Atlanta, working with school districts all across the US. Um, and in my in, in my role that I have now with NetSport, we often work with with um, ministries of education supporting technology for, for countrywide rollouts. And I think what's really key is it, you are always evolving your perspective. You're always getting new ideas and fresh challenges, you know, and I, I know something that will resonate very strongly with you, Fonz, you know, no two schools are the same. The cohort, the teaching staff, the infrastructure, the challenges, they're always different. And so you never have all the answers. You've just got to be asking more questions and hopefully the right ones. And that comes with the experience, I guess. Yeah. And I love, I love well, a couple of things that resonate and pretty much everything 
is on key. And that's why I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, having a, another like-minded person to be able to learn from and, and see that, hey, maybe I'm not that far off or things of that sort. But one of the things that you mentioned that you said, it's like, oh, because this is the way we've always done it. And to me, that phrase always resonates. And and I guess what I loved is that you said like, well, this is the way we've always done it. But then you said, well, let's take a different approach to this and let's do things differently. And, you know, things worked out. And of course, you were able to branch off and you were able to grow, you know, even that business and several other businesses with those uh, new and innovative ideas. And I love that you've had that opportunity, but also the passion that you felt you that you have now for education and being part of that. And like I've always said, uh, you know, to previous guests, it's a, I started off with a business, well, I have a business degree. I started off in, with marketing and then I fell into education and I absolutely fell in love with everything, but taking those skills, the, you know, customer service, you know, personalizing sales and taking those components and those theories and those actions and taking them, taking them into the classroom have definitely helped make, uh, you know, my, my job a lot easier as an educator and to continue to learn. And so hearing you going through that process now where, you know, you're helping bidding for schools, you are helping uh, current schools, you're working, you know, globally pretty much. That's, that's wonderful. And that's great that you have that vision. You're able to see things. And like I always tell my favorite three words, improvise, adapt and overcome, which I'm pretty sure you do that a lot. And especially through education. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think there's also another strand, which, which I often, I often reference and share which is it's very refreshing when you're involved in different sectors to, to recognize that education is quite unique in some regards. In the commercial world, we're, we're great at trying things and coming up with something that works in your business. And then you kind of keep it close to your chest. It's your intellectual property right. It's your secret to success. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and counter in education, the first thing people do when they are able to achieve something, that a successful project, evidence something that's really had impact, is we share it, you know, we, we, we share with our peers. We have these fantastic PLNs. We have shows like yourself where it's all about sharing best practice. And I think that openness makes it a far more rewarding process anyway. Um, educators by nature, I'm typically, you know, very focused on being reflective. It's not, it's not a competition. It's about recognizing where things work well and don't and being able to build on that and share. And so they are quite symbiotic because I think you learn those things and they're actually very relevant to apply in the business world. The business world can learn a lot from the way that we think and reflect on things in education. And then I suppose the final point is, you know, we talk about 30 years, but, you know, morally, I think about the next 60 years, the next 90 years in terms of both the education system, but also there are some amazing new products, new companies, new ed tech startups coming. Um, and I would dearly love when I was, you know, in the early stages and working with NetSport and we were developing things and to have those kind of peers you could go and, and, and seek a bit of an input on because, you know, you learn by making mistakes, let's be honest. Um, so we've got a really thriving edtech community, both in the UK, the US and in many markets. And I think it's really incumbent on those of us that are established to help nurture and, and, and develop the, the, the next wave of technology many which is great to see our educators just looking at how do i take one foot out of my professional role and perhaps take an idea i've got and turn it into reality so you know it, there's a whole cycle there that i think is really important that we as you know as custodians we need to make sure that we support 
Oh, I love that. Uh, big shout out to Amanda. I just wanted to say uh, hi to Amanda Macias, who's joining us uh, this morning, and Shannon Moore. Thank you so much for joining us, y'all, uh, and joining our conversation here with Al. And Al, I wanted to talk to you. You mentioned something here as far as, you know, in our careers and things of that sort. We, we, oftentimes, we make those mistakes. We learn from those. So one of the questions that I did want to ask is if you can give us maybe, you know, through your experience, you know, either going from finance to education or maybe at, when you first started getting your feet wet into education, if you don't mind sharing, what is an example of a mistake or failure that you might have experienced and what did you learn from it? Well, I am definitely an advocate of the fact that, um, you know, mistakes aren't mistakes. They're just stepping stones to success. Um, and I think over time, um, the most important thing I've learned is um, – to perhaps be a bit more open about the fact that failure isn't always the ultimate outcome. Um, I think when you start off and, you, and you're young and you're looking at a trajectory, um, you can become very um, very quick to kind of um, brush aside the, the mistakes you make. And let's be honest, in business and in, in, in any profession, you, you, you do develop by those mistakes. So, so I think I've, I've probably learned there's a number of things. The first thing is... Um, don't, don't look at mistakes as being the ultimate point. They are something that you can build on. And then I suppose the second thing, and, and this is probably, you know, it's very much reflective on, on, on my experience in business, but I think applies the same in education. You know, it's always about having a good team around you. The, the mindset as a, you know, a young, enthusiastic, I want to fix the world um, business person, frankly, what you very quickly realize is, doesn't matter how much, how many great ideas you've got or, or what you think you're capable of, you can't do it alone. So never underestimate the, the power of the team. And I think that's something that it's it's a lesson that people often say, but actually adapting that to how you operate within your your profession is, is definitely something that I think comes with experience. Some people are, you know, are blessed to, to, to recognize that from day one. I was perhaps as you know a slow learner on that pathway. Wow. I, I really love that quote. And like you saw, you saw right now, I have my friend AJ. Shout out to AJ uh, from Reflect Ed uh, Podcast. Uh, great, Hi, great, yeah, great gentleman. He is a, a vice principal and, uh, you know, amazing educator, Shannon, too. And Amanda, they're really taking that in. That quote right there, that's probably going to be a soundbite. I'm telling you that right now because <laughs> that was amazingly, you know, the way that you put that, you know, as far as the stepping stones to success. That is something great. And I think that's a lot of things that right now a lot of educators really need to hear after the year and a half and or more that they've had currently, you know, the burnout and so on. But uh, thank you so much for, for sharing that. And obviously, you know, like you said, sharing, being able to share their voice, being able to share uh, innovative ideas and things of that sort to to better, you know, of course, our our education, our curriculum, our the learning experiences. And that's one thing I always come to to better that learning experience for that student. So, all right, excellent. So let's talk a little bit now about My EdTech Diary, Al. So tell us a little bit about what My EdTech Diary, how did this project start? When did you think like, hey, this is something that I should do? Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I, mean, I, have, to, I have to correct you on the most important bit, although it's slightly tongue in cheek, clearly, is it's called My Secret EdTech Diary. Oh, um, my secret now, Yeah, I know. Now, now I have to say, when I when I first came up with that, it was partly because well, I thought, well, all these ideas, I, I want to share them. Uh, it was partly a nod, and this probably ages, and it might be more regional as a joke. There was a, a famous book 
maybe 25 years ago, The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole. Um, and I was kind of playing playing slightly on that name. So um, so that was the reason for, for, for doing that. Now, in terms of the, uh, you know, writing the book, um, following on that theme of sharing and the fact that I think this is the community, that's what we do. Um, I often write articles. Typically, when I write articles, it's a thousand words and share them in all sorts of different education magazines. And I learn lots from from reading those articles by others. Uh, and, and I really enjoy sort of, you know, here's some top tips, best practice, things that I've seen elsewhere. I often refer to myself as a bit of an edgy sponge, which is um, my way of saying, you know, hey, I, I'm always fascinated to learn more. And secondly, to not at any point try to claim to have all the answers. It's often a fusion from lots of other people, um, <clears throat> excuse me, far wiser than me that have, have already trod a different path. But what I also recognize is when you want to go for a bit of an input, and particularly ed tech, because, you know, something we touched on before the show started, you know, whether we like it or not, the last 18 months has been a real amplifier for educational technology. It's been brought to the forefront. And schools, districts have been, frankly, amazing that alongside having to deal with everything else, we've managed to bring that discussion to the fore and bring technology to the fore. And I was really conscious that there's there's two barriers. One is in order to kind of talk about it from all the key strands, you've got to do an awful lot of Googling and a lot of different PDF documents and things to read to bring it all together. So I wanted to try and bring the conversation into a single book. And, and then the second part was, for some people, when we say ed tech and we talk technology, there's an immediate fear or there's a bit of imposter syndrome. Oh, I'm not techie. It's not something I'm particularly confident with, which is really, really unfortunate and unfair because... The reality is EdTech should be something that all educators, all people working in schools should have a voice for and should be able to share what does and doesn't work for them, what their aspirations are. So I also wanted to um, write it in a way, very much a, a, like Al sitting chatting with you now, that made it accessible. And where the terminology and the technology was referenced, it actually unpicked it in plain English as to what that means. So that when you get behind it, <clears throat> you really end up with a mindset of, this isn't about the tech. It's not about how the, the widgets and the packets move around a network and all the rest of it. This is fundamentally about where are the areas we want to develop? What are the opportunity? What are the things that are out there that we could consider? And for most people, it's not always about the answers. It's giving checklists of questions. Again, thinking back to that idea that every school's different, every cohort's different. Um, often what people have been empowered with is to say, well, if, if you read something like my book and it gives you a sense of an understanding about EdTech and the bigger picture, you can now take those kind of questions to join the debate. And all I really wanted to do was to foster the discussion, much like you and others are doing, which is is, is making people aware. And it's um, linking back to the, the Donald Rumsfeld quote of a good few years ago, you know, it's not the the known unknowns, it's the unknown unknowns. And so trying to paint a picture of some of the things that perhaps people wouldn't be aware of and why that might be relevant, I hope just makes the conversation, um, you know, a little bit more accessible. Uh, but it's not a techie book. Although it covers lots of strands, I was really keen to uh, to make it accessible and a little bit lighthearted as well. You know, you don't need to be serious just because we're talking tech. Yeah, and that's one thing that I love. And, and in reading a, a little bit, of this, I was like, man, th this is so easy to follow. And it's really, like you said, it, it really just feels like a conversation where you're just really sharing your experiences, not going so much in depth, but the principles, or at least what I've read, I was like, hey, 
like this kind of makes sense or hey you know this is something that i've already tried or oh i definitely need to try that so yeah i definitely enjoyed um reading some of the the things that were sent to me and i was like hey this is really good so but i'm really excited like you said as far as sharing that's always so important and um i, I know my friend steph rothstein she always says it, it's about uh collaboration not competition and definitely sharing is, is a great con great component of that uh, let's talk a little bit here about one of the quotes in your book and then we're going to come back to something else that we were kind of talking about backstage but i know that in your book you have a quote here you know saying that trying to force new tech into old ways of working is counterproductive so can you explain a little bit more about that Oh, now that's going to be contentious. Al's been a re rebel for a minute here now. <laughs> I, I guess the big picture is, you know, and, and again, we have to recognize that this doesn't apply to everybody. This is thinking about where it's relevant and appropriate. Sometimes we can be working, whether it's in a classroom or frankly in an office, we, we can do things a certain way and we go out with a mindset of looking for a tool that will allow us to do things that way more effectively. And that's kind of okay, but actually it limits progress and development if you're not willing to go out and see what else is available and based on what you see or others are doing that peer peer assess, you know, and looking at those kind of the pedagogy behind it, reflecting and saying, actually, there are these fantastic new tools available. I'm willing to change the way we do something within the classroom or within the school to be able to get the maximum benefit from that new technology. And we kind of started that journey the last 18 months, because one thing that was introduced, which for me was a huge thumbs up, was teachers were given a green light to take risk, not in terms of the core things like keeping our young people safe, but in terms of go out and find applications or <clears throat> online solutions that might meet a need. Now, that initially was to deliver that remote blended learning and other tools, but it meant go try things. Now, now with that comes uh, some things work well and some things just didn't, and we hold our hands up and said, well, we had to try and in the same way, I think it's important that we say when we're looking and reflecting at we need some new tools, whether it's about how we collate our student data, share data, how we interact with our students, how we engage with them, whatever it might be, we need to be mindful of there may be new, new ways of doing things that allow us or should encourage us to adapt and change the way we think we're doing things within. You know, and I think that part of that and alongside that, having that kind of growth mindset, I think is is really important. I just think it's really kind of key to flag and and this is a bit where and i have a habit of being a bit contentious so i apologize to anybody who's listening who thinks hang on a second now one thing I, I'm, I'm very mindful of all around the world is often the senior leaders across schools and districts um my polite term is will be perhaps some of the more experienced staff both in career progression and in age and so often they might not have the reference point about how technology had a real impact within their lessons because the technology is ever changing and is newer. And, and so what we're actually trying to do is we're trying to empower, and I think it's really important, we're trying to empower our middle leaders and our, and our, and our younger staff to, to kind of share their experiences of how they've utilized technology to feed that back into that broader conversation about your school or district's digital strategy. You know, how do we kind of align that with our own school development plan? And, and it's about bringing all those stakeholders together. So all these things kind of connect, which is if your shopping list is just to go get something that does exactly the same and replaces what you've already got, you're never going to really deliver innovation at a pace that potentially you could. 
Wow, that really resonated with me and what you said, and especially there towards the end. Uh, you know, we were overwhelmed, you know, at certain times. And for myself, you know, at least for our our strategy was keeping it simple. And I'm always one of those, like, I always love to keep it simple. Number one, you know, just use what you have available, but try and really maximize it because oftentimes you're going to see the next thing that just has a little extra whistle or a little extra shine, but then you're having to learn that process and then it may be frustrating. You're continually learning and you just get very overwhelmed. So I know that sometimes that can be very counterproductive when you've got too much stuff and you're trying to do too many things when, and then of course the, the duplicity of efforts where you already have something that does something one way and now you're bringing in something else that does it the same way, but maybe has that one little additional feature. And again, you're starting all over again on those things. So yeah, it just all depends on the experience and, and what you're trying to do. But one thing that I do love it, that you said is the risk taking process. And for many years and being in the classroom for 11 years, it was, it wasn't until my last four years that I really started stepping out and taking risks because before that it was, well, here's, like I said, coming in from business and not going through the school of education, but just learning as I go, it was like, well, I don't want to get in trouble. So I'm just going to follow everything down to the T. But it wasn't until mm -hmm. I actually moved down to elementary, man, that's when I started taking risks. I was like, hey, let's bring in these Chromebooks when, you know, nobody was using them. I, I had the Chromebook cart in my class all year long. And that went on for about three, four years. And hey, let's go. Kids were outside recording. Kids were, were outside with mobile devices. We were, so I was just kind of taking those risks and I loved it. You know, it helped me, you know, see things differently. It made the learning experience very, very, you know, it, it was so much fun. The kids were engaged and it was just amazing. So yeah, definitely risk-taking yeah. is definitely a big plus there, but in moderation, we need to make sure. We yeah, absolutely. I think you, the other point that you mentioned there, Fonz, which I think is really, really important one, is about that, you know, keeping it simple. You know, one of the things that I always advocate in terms of a broader kind of digital strategy is, you know, and people might say, well, hang on a second, Al, you're a big ad advocate of, of ed tech, is, is the, those baby steps of less is more. Actually, the biggest barrier to successful adoption of ed tech is teacher confidence. That's the reality. And teacher confidence comes from schools actually investing in continuous professional development, building that confidence. Uh, and that isn't about having a two-hour session at the start of the academic year, and that'll do for the year. It's about interweaving that continuously. And, and that confidence reflects itself in whether when you've got 30 young people waiting for your attention and input, whether you're going to reach for the, the Carter Chromebooks and, and have confidence that they'll start, they'll function as you expect, and you're going to be able to shepherd and utilize the tools that you want. And like anything, you know, the more you use something, the more familiar you, you become with it. So I think that sense of it, but, but, but the trade-off which comes at the end of that, of course, is if you do a few things well, what happens is you get evidence of impact. And that builds confidence in actually investing further in either more of the technology or the building blocks. Because nobody wants to commit today to spending for the next five years of what technology a school wants, because how do we know? What we want to do is say, well, where do we want to be in a year's time? How does that align with our school development plans? How are we going to measure the impact? And if that's successful, 
then we're all going to feel a bit more confident to embrace the next part. But it all starts with empowering teachers. And, and the number one commodity is time. Why would the assumption be that in order for teachers to learn and confidence in these new tools, it's got to be magically found out of time that doesn't exist? You know, the time's got to be made. The cover's got to be made to allow that skill set to be developed. And then you build upon that. Yeah, it's building blocks. There you go. So, Al, I, I, we talked a little bit about this uh, prior to the show, but I, I, if you don't mind, is it okay if I, I read this sentence from, from the book? Absolutely. Okay, it says here, it says, equally, as we return to a sense of normality or normality, excuse me, within the education landscape, there is a real danger that the positive lessons we've learned and the new skills and tools that have been adopted fail to be embedded and as a result, fail to be part of our onward journey. I highlighted this, I underlined it, I put you know brackets all over it because it, this was something that really just popped out at me because like I mentioned to you, in about you know the last 10 to 12 episodes, we I always say something like muscle memory, muscle memory. So as we go back face to face, teachers are gonna get back into the classrooms and it's that comfort zone that muscle memory. So tell us a little bit about that as far as your experience or what you think we will be seeing. Um. Yes. I mean, I think, again, the landscape will will differ for, for, for different schools and different educators. What we've seen is we've, we've had, you know, our, our waves of um, disruption over the last 18 months. And, and in many regions, we're moving back to, albeit slightly different and socially distanced, a, a slightly more closely aligned normality to where we were a couple of years ago in terms of the classroom setting. And there's a real risk, I think, from that, that we've identified some tools that work really well, whether it's the tools that we use for um, collaboration and communication, so things like whether it's Teams or Google Suite, whatever it might be that the schools are using, that there's, a, there's an easy temptation that now we're back physically in the room, we don't need to use those things, so we start to lose confidence. But actually some of those things, whether it's linked to students' homework or activities where we can, you know, track students' engagement with the work. We've got that quick feedback, closing that feedback loop. Key to some of these things is tools that continue to save teacher time. You know, and people always say, when you say teacher time, you mean tech takeover from the teacher? And it's like, no, no. If we save teacher time, it means the teacher's got more time to do what they do well, which is this teacher-to-student interaction, the teaching. You know, there's things computers do well, you know, in AI, we can have a whole conversation about, and there's things humans do well. And, and I would argue in most cases, near the twain do meet. There's a, there's a small bit of a Venn diagram, but actually it's about freeing up time. And then we've seen, I mean, one thing that's been really sticky, and I think will move into the future landscape, are things like online parents' evenings, engagement with families. We've often seen that that's, certainly in the UK, we've seen a real upturn in engagement with our harder-to-reach families, as we would refer to, by using those tools. Uh, when we think about our exam seasons in schools, we often have our young people during the holidays coming in for revision classes. And you kind of ask the question, well, why don't we do it online? Why haven't we been? Why haven't we been recording exemplars so that students can access it when they're in homes where, you know, and again, thinking about digital equity and equality for all of our students, building those resources. Um, so I think there's lots of strands. I mean, we've seen lots of teachers have said that, um, ironically, um, when they were in a physical sense in the school, often you come in the school day, you go to your classroom, you're, you're in your silo, for want of a better term, yeah. you're dealing with your young people. And actually, 
over the last 18 months, tools like Teams and Google, and I always try and be platform agnostic or tool agnostic in that sense, that those back channels of communication and narrative have actually fostered in some shape greater communication between peers and sharing because it's been made easier and more accessible. So I think what we need to do is, as we started talking about earlier on in this conversation, is be reflective and things that work well, we need to make sure we continue to use them. We continue to maintain those skills. And at the same time, we also look at some of the tools we used online, how perhaps where they were being used to to complete the learning day or the learning journey, for want of a better term, we think of those in terms of how they can support personalized learning moving forward. And that's where, you know, AI-based tools in some cases, following personalized pathways for young people and the questioning opens up and builds on their, their knowledge and skills. Those kind of tools, again, can can build alongside the, the normal classroom instruction and, and teaching that we, we see and we love. Um, and what we don't want to do is, is just be following a cycle that we've seen so many times before. Shiny, shiny, innovation, let's use it. Phew, we're over that. Let's throw it in the box. And, and now more than ever, and it's something you touched on before the, the show, you know, we have had a catalyst of an injection of devices, technology in students' hands around the world. And, and we can't forget that's public money. You know, I always remember that one of my roles as chair of a, of a trust in the UK is it's public money. I have to make sure that, that those resources and that money is used most effectively for the benefit of our young people. And the idea that somehow they could suddenly be gathering dust in the corner because nobody can think of the way of how they could have a positive impact really poses the question that I think senior leadership have a duty to be aware of, which is we know technology can have a positive impact when used appropriately and effectively. So if teachers can't see the benefit, it has to be that we need to be able to provide more support and access and have that joined up thinking so that the right resources can be used where appropriate. Uh, and I always have to put a little caveat. I know this is a slightly longer than normal answer on this one. You know, people often say to me, what do you see as, you know, the future digital school? And I always kind of say the most important thing is, whilst it might have fantastic digital signage showcasing student work around, and we might have different rooms that have got different types of tech to suit the learning, there will also be classrooms where there's no tech at all. And that's just fine. Because edtech isn't, as I refer to, the panacea to everything. It's where it's appropriate and where we can evidence impact. And at that point, I see a familiar face has appeared in, on the uh, the conversation. Oh, yeah. Mr. Abbott Patel is joining us. Thank you so much for being here, Abbott. Appreciate you. We've been definitely talking you up. The A to the B to the I to the D is here. So thank you so much, Abbott, for joining us. And we've got a lot of great um, comments and a lot of great interaction here uh, within our, our, our audience members today with AJ and Amanda. And I love here what Amanda put and says here, it's like we are the secret keepers of knowledge and we've locked it up for safekeeping, but our students are unlocked and we can work together as a community to do it, to do real life work. So I really love that. And nice. Al, nice. Al, you touched on a couple of things too that I love, you know, that due to the tech, personally, uh, personally working with parents and uh, in our community, um, we did see that we did have an increase in uh, parental uh, or parent engagement when I would do we would do technology Tuesdays and so I would talk to the parents about digital citizenship so it was great to see more parents involved both in the English and Spanish here in our demographic area those are the two languages so that was something that was great and I, I know you brought that up as far as 
remediation. I, I know what's going to happen, you know, because like you said, we, we're going to come back to that normality. And I know that at some point there's, there's, oh, the after school tutorials or Saturday tutorials because we're getting ready for test prep. Well, we have devices and if every student is one-to-one, there's no need for that travel. When I, when I first started this position, I started something, I did a PD in your PJs where I knew that I, Saturday mornings are very tough for a lot of educators to get up and come to a central location. And especially in our area where we're kind of like a metro area with several cities around that to drive in from certain areas, finding a babysitter, uh, you know, things of that sort, activities. So then I said, hey, why don't we just do things online? So when we started doing things online, it was great. Teachers were like, hey, I was actually like having a cup of coffee watching my son. I was washing dishes, but I was watching you on the iPad and we're doing these things, these trainings. And so that was something that we were doing already pre-pandemic, but it was very little. You maybe, I, maybe at most I had about 10 teachers, 12 teachers doing this. But now that we have access, I mean, those are some of the things that that are positive outcomes from that. And my biggest fear, and I know we've had several guests here that have said, you know, it's just that the tech is just going to be put aside where, like you said, there's nothing wrong with, and I agree with that statement, the tech is not the end all like solution, but there's still a way to implement that and just do some blending. And if it allows, I'm a big proponent of taking things off, you know, a teacher you know, and giving them that teacher time. And that's what the, that's what I've been preaching this PD, uh, you know, sessions that I've been doing through the week is the tools that I'm showing you are to kind of give you back the, a little bit of that time for that, you know, like you said, student engagement when you're face to face or some things that you may do. Because one of the things I always said, when I close the door, I'm in my own little world. But when I open that door, all the administrative stuff comes in that you need to take care of. So if I can give you a little bit of time to breathe between those things, I mean, that that right there is a huge benefit. Yeah. And I love right. the fact you, you, you picked up on, on the parental engagement side because, yes. you know, particularly for our younger learners, a, a large degree of influence on the success or failure of their learning at home is about parental engagement. And so I think the schools that were proactive in providing this training for parents as well as young people to have confidence on those core platforms and tools, as well as, and it's something I'm very passionate about, the DigiSit message, yes. about parents feeling safe with their young people using technology, the simple things of supervision and the open door policy, and just being aware of expectations of, you know, what's in the background when a child sat, and, and developing that kind of confidence. The more the parents felt confident and able to support their young people utilizing devices to access whether it was synchronous or asynchronous learning, the greater the engagement. And I think, you know, schools have always been there to provide support for families in, in many, many ways, far beyond often their, their, their defined remit. But I think understanding that as we train our staff and our young people, looking and making sure that there's access to resources with families. And we've all seen it because now we're seeing schools doing all sorts of pre-recorded exemplars that people can access online. And some of those are the simple things for parents about how to understand the, the core tools that your school or district use so that they can familiarize and build confidence. Yeah. And that's definitely something that is very important and very key. And uh, like I said, and especially here in this area where we do both English and Spanish. And so that was something that is great because we do, I do have a repository of those things. So, you know, coming this school year, I mean, in a way it kind of helped develop that where 
a parent can come online and say, okay, let me find the resource to guide me through Google Workspace, you know, or Google Classroom, what to look out for. And like you said, that's very important. And the digital, the, that's the digital literacy component, but also the digital citizenship is one of the things that I've, I loved that I was able to share with parents as more students are having more screen time. Prior to this, it was maybe just through their cell phones, but now that every student is one-to-one, you know, what to look out for and informing them. And that's been a really something that has been a great experience that parents have definitely appreciated. And I even got a couple of phone calls saying, wow, like I never knew any of this. And now we get to share that information and, uh, you know, that engagement is always great. And I, I'm a big proponent of parental engagement. They're part of our learning community. And oftentimes learning community is defined of, well, it's just the student, the teacher and the admin. But I was like, wait a minute. I was like, we need to bring the parents in because they're the stakeholders too as well and get their opinions and get their feedback, what's working, what's not, mm-hmm. and so on. So I think during this time, we we definitely got more engagement and I definitely appreciated that, that the parents were actively involved mm-hmm. and wanting to learn more. So that's been great. Definitely. And I mentioned at the beginning about uh, you know my, my role with uh, special educational needs children, but we have to remember that during the, the lockdown periods, for our, for, for our more vulnerable learners, actually having the tools for that daily, regular routine and contact and communication was kind of critical to maintain a degree of normality and pattern and support for those young learners. So parental involvement becomes key on those kind of things. And that's where tech worked really, really well. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, we're almost, almost. Uh, you know, to that wrapping up time, but I definitely wanted to ask your last thoughts here on this one question. So, You've had a long history in education. What is the number one lesson that you have learned? I suppose the biggest one is, and we touched on it earlier, about um, ego and professional confidence, is if in doubt, ask. It's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of you should know the answer. Um, I think for for many of us, yourself included, and many of, of the people who have joined the conversation today, we all look to our to our Twitter, PLN, and other areas for for guidance and sharing of resources. And I think it, it sounds a bit of a you know, dare I say, it, a bit of a cheesy one to kind of say, you know. But the reality is, it's easy to say, but it's actually harder to put into practice. And in many ways, as you progress up the up the tiers of your professional role in in any education setting, there's an expectation that you've got more of the answers. But actually. You know, that sense of validation and working with others, I think it's really important that we we don't put the assumption that, you know, everyone's got the right answers. Because actually the what that drives is a mindset that if in doubt, guess, make it up, just go with something. Um, and, and actually it's far better to be, it also in, develops other people because the more you ask, the more people are aware of what results come back and what the outcomes are. And it, it builds your your, you know, your next tier within the, within your school or within your organization. So, so I'm very much an advocate of encouraging that as a sign of strength, that if you don't know, ask rather than what's perceived sometimes as a sign of weakness. Wow. And that's, that's really great advice. And for somebody who's been in education for 15 years, I know sometimes it can be very hard when, okay, I'm not sure how to do this and you want to ask and yeah, you know, definitely want to also foster that environment too, where somebody can come in, have that psychological safety to be able to come and ask and know that, hey, they're going to get some help and they're going to continue to grow because 
that that's what it's all about all right al so what is next for mr al kingsley any other big projects happening anything else you know <laughs> you'd like to share maybe you're getting that that classic porsche if you don't have it yet <laughs> i don't know <laughs> um uh, you know I often get asked the sort of questions about next steps and career and so on. And I suppose the most important thing that I always share is I am genuinely blessed in a very fortunate position to do a job that I love and have the flexibility to get involved in the projects and support education in different ways that I can. And, and, and I never take that for granted, uh, but because I love it so much, I never look in the sense of what's next after this part of my career, because I hope this part of my career will continue for many, many years. Naturally, the kind of innovator and fixer mindset that I have, or I try to have, means that we are constantly evolving and developing new technology and new products co-produced with educators to meet a changing landscape. Uh, and that's something where, frankly, you're never done because it's always changing. I am absolutely pushing a sense of less is more within technology, which is I don't think the solutions with the most features and the most buttons necessarily win the prize. It's actually about accessibility and building confidence. So keep it simple, technology as well. And there's a risk with vendors. You know, you develop a product and over many years it evolves and you keep adding things. Well, actually, you get to a point where you've just added too many things. It, it no longer is what the customer really wanted. So having that strength of courage, particularly when you're well-established, you know, within the mindset of digital disruption, really to kind of say, actually, let's start afresh and do the same things, but differently. Let's have the confidence to say that we can we can offer you something that's better by doing less. It is is a really important thing. And I think particularly if you've well established like ourselves, it takes a degree of courage to say, you know what, we're starting again. And that thing we've got, we can do better because your natural persuasion is always to say what we've got is perfect. It's brilliant. It's amazing. But I think in education, we've also learned the last 18 months that for all the great products out there, there are other products that are less so. And so I always try and encourage that sense of co-production, promoting products that are research informed. And I think that's really key for educators to, to know the right questions to ask in terms of making sure that it's not about how many solutions you use, it's picking the right solutions that have got a history and evidence of having an impact and focusing on that. Nice. Great. I, and I completely agree with you. And I've always been one of those. And I, I think it was actually one of my high school teachers who taught me that he goes, just keep it simple. And those are little things that just kind of stuck along the way. But it, it's it rings true in so many areas, you know, both professionally and personally. And like you said, I, I think that's really well spoken being and you doing this for so long and to be able to kind of reinvent and still think of how we can make things better and maybe still keeping it simple. Still definitely very important. And I really appreciate that. Um, now, Al, let's go ahead and let me, this is one of my favorite questions to ask. And so I would love to hear your answer here. If you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Yeah, difficult question. Um, I think the one that I was taught from a young age, um, and I, I think is, it resonates absolutely more than ever in, in any walk of life professionally you develop, is that you've got two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. Use them in appropriate proportions. Oh, that is some wisdom right there. That is definitely some wisdom. I like that a lot. And, that's and that really resonates for me because I think 
it's very easy, even more so as we become comfortable in our own space and the area that we have a degree of expertise in, to be too quick to answer the question. And actually, that sense of looking and listening, you will always gather additional context that means that when you do answer the question, you're more likely to come up with the right result. So I think that's a really kind of an important one. And again, you know, apologies for those that think that's a little bit cheesy, but it, I think it really resonates. And I often remind myself sometimes to just pause and don't be the first to always start talking in a meeting, in a conversation and discussion. Actually look and listen first. Yeah, that is some really great, great advice for sure. And finally, Al, if you and I could switch roles, what would be something that you'd like to ask oh. me? <laughs> I could be really challenging. I mean, we could talk about classic cars again now and have a, have a great time, but I'm not sure all the listeners would necessarily um, tune in. I, I think the thing I wanted to ask is, I mean, you, you've interviewed lots of really interesting people who've all got a passion and a focus. So I suppose the question for me is, what were the common themes or strands that you've noticed across all the different people that you've interviewed that perhaps resonate or a common kind of approach to how they, they tackle their roles? I think the, the common, one of the common things that I have seen all around, and I guess maybe is actually relationships. It's all about relationships. You know, when we start talking about, you know, the education setting there, whether they're in the classroom, you know, whether they're, you know, in administrators, because I've had principals here and uh, everything comes back down to that natural state of relationships in, in seeing that in order to grow, you have to build relationships. You have to build that trust. If you're in the classroom, you have to build those relationships. You have to build that community. And so oftentimes we ask ourselves, well, the, you know, there may be some students we're having some trouble with some students or the students are maybe they're misbehaving in another class and not in your class. Well, did you build a relationship? Did you build that community? Did you, you know, do you talk to them? Do you personalize, you know, their learning? Do you kind of see what it is that, you know, helps, you know, kind of alleviate some of that? So relationships is the the thing that I have taken from all my guests and the connections, you know, that we're all connected in that way that we think that that is probably the most important thing to start off with in how to start or begin that community through the power of relationships and how that can definitely help your classroom setting and it can help you professionally and it can help you personally because as you know even through this the power of relationships to you know being able to interview you through connections you know like you know we have uh, Abid Patel uh, who is a great connector and building relationships with him and getting to know other people and now you being on the show, it's all because of relationships. And so that's definitely the biggest thing. And uh, I definitely recommend, you know, just getting to know somebody, you know, it doesn't matter what background they're from. It doesn't matter whether they're in education or whether they're, you know, just a big tech guy or just anybody, your students, take the time to build that relationship, build that trust. And you will see that and working together as a team is definitely a lot better than just working in your silo and not having that additional support. So yeah, relationships are key. <laughs> Wise words there, sir. I totally agree. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Al. It has been a pleasure. It's been great to always talk to just wonderful and passionate people like yourself and 
you know, uh, being a stakeholder also in education, a stakeholder in the tech world, being able to see both worlds, wearing two hats and being able to see things in two perspectives today from you has definitely been beneficial to me and I know beneficial to all our audience that's watching. Thank you, Amanda, Abbott, AJ, Shannon, um, everybody that was here this morning and those of you that will be watching this later on thank you so much for joining us today now al just before we leave one more time where if our audience members have maybe had some other questions for you or would like to get in contact with you what would be the best way that they can uh you know get in contact with you thank you yes uh, the easiest way um as it was showing on, the, on below my name there is to to connect with me on twitter at al kingsley underscore edu um, and I'm always happy to engage and chat with anybody and everybody. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn too or on alkingsley.com. Perfect. Well, Al, thank you so much. As always, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. I know that you are six hours in the future <laughs> over there in the UK. So I hope you're having yourself a wonderful weekend and a wonderful afternoon. And for our audience members, as always, thank you so much for joining us and making My EdTech Life what it is today. Please make sure you stop by our website, myedtech.life, myedtech.life. Check out all our previous shows. Uh, give us a review, guys. We'd love to hear from you. Give us some feedback. We're always looking to grow and always better the show. So I always want to give you the best of me and just give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And next week, we will have a Friday show with Patrick Hausman, who will be, be uh, sharing with us this coming Friday morning. And on Saturday, we have Mr. Teachers on Fire himself, Mr. Tim Cavey, who will be joining us. So I'm really excited about two shows this coming week. And uh, again, I look forward to seeing you guys. And until next time, my friends, don't forget, stay techie. <laughs> Y'all take care and have a wonderful day.